before I read the scripture this morning, I want to welcome Carvin here. I think Carvin knows that if the whole world turned against him, he'd still have a few people inside these walls that would love him and cheer him on. So we're grateful for him taking his time and his, uh, his heart and sharing with us this morning. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. In the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1075, 1075. Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. On rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Indeed, it is a privilege to be back in this pulpit. I consider it an honor. I appreciate your attention. And I do believe that God has a special message for us today. I believe it is this Saturday that will be July the 4th, if my calendar is correct, that we will be celebrating what we call the independence of our country. And as I think about that, I realize as well as you do that our freedom is not free. Many people, men and women, throughout the last several hundred years have paid the ultimate price that we may enjoy our liberty most of you who know me know that mom went to be with the Lord last year. And as we have been cleaning out mom and dad's house, I came across a lot of papers that I did not know she had. Found out a lot of things about my family that I did not know. And in the last year I found out about many of my ancestors who have fought for this country. I realized that my five-time great-grandfather on Dad's side immigrated to this country from Germany and settled in North Carolina in the mid-1700s. He fought and died in the Revolutionary War. Several years later, his wife died and left behind four children. The two older boys were old enough to live on their own 
and as a tribute for their father's uh, service to the country, they were given a section of land, a Spanish grant in southeast Missouri, which is how my dad's family got to be there in the late 1700s. But the two oldest or two youngest children were not old enough to be on their own, so they became indentured servants. have no idea what happened to them. Then on mom's side, I found out that one of her ancestors by the name of Masonville was three-quarter Cherokee and quarter French, which I knew much of her family was French. He was instrumental. He and his brother founding and establishing the city of Detroit. They came in from Canada. He fought in the War of Independence, was captured at the Battle of Fort Vincennes, Indiana, taken to a prison in Williamsburg, Virginia, where he died in prison. If you study American history, you realize Native Americans didn't fight for America. <laughs> they took side with the British because they wanted to retain their ancestral property. And I found out from mom's papers that several of our ancestors fought in the Civil War, which I knew that. I found out that one had died in the first six months of battle. I found out from dad's family, trying to find out all I could before he passed away. As you know, he's on hospice. Found out that Grandpa Adams' twin brother was killed in World War I at the age of 18. His body's buried somewhere in Europe. Then I found out that Dad's, one of his brothers, was a uh, chauffeur, a driver for General Patton in World War II. My story is not unique. If you knew your genealogy, you could tell the same story as I have. Many people have died so that we could enjoy our freedom. But it saddens me to say our country is near not is not as free today as it was even last week. In my library, I have a book written by Captain Howard Rutledge, who was a POW in Vietnam for seven years. It's entitled "In the Presence of Mine Enemies." Five of those seven years, he was a POW. He was in solitary confinement, not allowed to speak to any of the other prisoners. Part of this time, he was in a cell that was only three foot wide and six foot long. There was a piece of hardwood that was bolted on one side of the cell, which became his bed. It left only one foot wide space by six foot that he could walk up and down. And because he refused to give any information other than his name, his rank and serial number, he was tortured to the point of death over and over again during that seven years of captivity. He described that he was placed in a concrete room that had no windows for 28 days in a row. At night, the temperature was 100 to 110 degrees. His hands were cuffed behind his back. His feet were in chains. His meals consisted of one small bowl of rice and two cups of dirty water a day. After 28 days, 
He says he was so emotionally and physically sick that he could remember that he had children, but he didn't know how many. Part of his interrogation consisted of sitting on a little milk stool seven to ten days at a time. And if he even moved or dozed off and fell off the stool, he was beaten severely. Can you imagine the joy he felt when he was eventually able to walk out of that man-made tomb of seven years? I can't. Can you sense the excitement when he was eventually reunited with his wife and four children? During that first six years of captivity, he never received a single letter from anyone. He didn't know that his son John was involved in an automobile accident that broke his neck and then was, was permanently paralyzed from his neck down. He, he didn't even know that it happened. He didn't know that he had become a grandfather that had been kept secret from him because they would not allow letters to come in to him. It's no wonder that after seven years of captivity, when he finally was able to get out of that prison, he described his release, his liberation, his freedom in this one sentence. And I quote from that book. I felt resurrected from the dead. Driving away to life again. End of quote. I can't think of a better definition of freedom than a resurrection from the dead. As Jesus stood in the synagogue that day to read from the prophecy of Isaiah as he was beginning his public ministry, he gives us the ultimate purpose, the reason. The, the destiny of His coming. And in verse 18, He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach good news. Now in that verse, we see the triune God, the Trinity, if you will. The three persons that make up who we know as God, involved in the ministry of the liberation of man. He says the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Then he says of the Lord, which is the Father. Then he says on me, which is Jesus Christ, has anointed me to preach good news. Now what is this good news that Jesus came to proclaim? He talked about it in the latter part of verse 18. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now twice Jesus used the word to proclaim. In verse 18 he says he has sent me to proclaim freedom. And then in verse 19 he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Now that phrase may not be too familiar with most of us. But it's referring to the Jewish year of Jubilee which took place every 50 years. And during that time all debts were canceled. A person had a new beginning in life. A second chance, if you will. They were set free from the consequences of all bad decisions they had ever made. It was almost like being born again as a new person starting all over. Therefore, Jesus was saying, I've been sent here by God the Father. I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to you. And the good news is this. You can be liberated. You can be free. You can have a freedom that you have never experienced before in your life. Because under the old covenant of the Old Testament, even though they could offer animal sacrifices for their sins, they were still under the bondage. And in verse 18, Jesus refers to three types of freedom that he come or came to offer us. The first is freedom from spiritual bondage. He says, he, referring to the Father, has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, or some translation says, deliverance to the captives. The good news that Captain Rutledge experienced when he walked out of that prison after seven years, when he says, I felt resurrected from the dead... As important as that was to him and his wife and four children cannot compare to the freedom a person experiences when that person is released from the bondage of Satan and sin. Jesus says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Paul wrote to the Romans and says, We are either a slave to sin or a slave to God. So to those, Jesus is saying, who are in Satan's grip, to those who are held captive by a sinful habit, to those who are in situations who have made bad decisions and find themselves in their own portable prison, if you will, and cannot escape by their own efforts, to those who do not enjoy the assurance of eternal life, to those who lay down at night and are fearful they may go out into eternity, I bring you good news. Jesus came to set you free. He came to set you free from your spiritual Bondage to those of his day who were demon possessed. Jesus cast out the evil spirits from within them. To the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and expensive perfume, Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that peace could only come to a person who'd been set free from Satan. Jesus set her free from the bondage that Satan held her. Set her free from her guilt, the condemnation that the Holy Spirit 
in her condemnation that the Spirit had placed upon her. That's the good news. That's even the good news that the angels spoke about and sang about the night that Jesus lay in a manger. That's the good news that many of you, possibly all of you, have experienced in your lives this morning. There's a second freedom that Jesus spoke about when he read from the prophecy of Isaiah, written some 600 years before he ever stood to read, and that is freedom from spiritual darkness. He said, He, again referring to the Father, has sent me to proclaim freedom and recovery of sight for the blind. Now it's true that Jesus physically gave sight to the blind, but that's not the intent here of what he is speaking of. He's speaking of spiritual matters here. You recall that Jesus once said of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, there cannot be any freedom from spiritual bondage until one sees Jesus Christ through their spiritual eyes and see him as being the light of the world. There cannot be forgiveness of sin till we come to Jesus Christ who is the Son of God, who is the only one who can save us from our sins. A good illustration, I would take it from the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, when Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria. The scripture says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, technically, he did not have to go to, through Samaria to get to his destination. He could have bypassed it on the east side of the Jordan like most respectable Jews. Because most Jews would never go through Samaria because it was Gentile country. And they would not defile themselves by walking on Gentile soil. But Jesus had to go through there because it was his destiny to meet with that Sumerian woman. So as he was at Jacob's well, he sent the disciples into Samaria to get them out of the way so he could do ministry. They weren't ready for this yet. So as he was speaking to this Sumerian woman, she saw him and recognized him as being a Jewish man. And he spoke to her, which most Jewish men would not speak to a woman in public let alone a Samaritan woman. So that caught her off guard right there. But he talked to her about a water that he could give her and she would never thirst again. So she says, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to this well to draw water. See, she was a woman with a bad reputation. She was living in sin. She would come to the well in the middle of the day, in the hottest time of the day, because the other women would not be there. She got tired of being ridiculed and talked about. The other women would come early in the morning to get water for the day, and then they would come later on in the afternoon to get water for the evening. So she was first of all surprised that Jesus would even talk to her being a Jewish man. And then he spoke about a water that she could drink 
not have to come from to this Jacob's well every day, a water that would never cause her to be thirsty. And then Jesus tells her about her sinful life, and she had never met him before. And then she realized, I see that you are a prophet. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. You see how her spiritual eyes are beginning to open to recognize Jesus is not just an ordinary Jewish man. He not only talks to me, but he knows something about me that I have not told him. And her eyes, her spiritual eyes were really open when Jesus says, Yes, I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Only then... After her spiritual eyes were open and she recognized Jesus Christ as the Messiah, only then was she able to experience the spiritual freedom from Satan and sin. In fact, she became so excited, she forgot about the water in Jacob's well. No longer did she have this fear, uh, spiritual or physical thirst. She had such a spiritual thirst, she dropped her water bucket ran back into the village, no longer ashamed to talk to the people, she began to tell the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he must be the one. You see, freedom from spiritual bondage must be preceded by having one's spiritual eyes open to understand that, that Jesus... The Son of God is the only one that can set one free of his physical bondage or spiritual bondage. Education cannot do it. Education can liberate one from, its, from his ignorance, but not from his spiritual bondage. Riches can liberate one from poverty, but not from the bondage of Satan. There's only one thing that can liberate one from Satan, and it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus went on to say, there's a third thing that I came to do, and that is offer freedom from oppression. And he says that he has sent me to release the oppressed. Some translations uses the word bruised, downhearted, to let the broken victims go free. This also is spiritual to a degree, but I think can imply to a degree physical by giving them hope. Now I realize there's a lot of oppressed people in the world that never are liberated from their oppressors. But to those whom life has been very, very cruel and hard, to those who have been bruised by the more powerful, whether it be their governments, their spouses, or their employers, to those who have become victims by uncontrollable events, or maybe their own decisions in life, to those who have been used by someone else as a doormat 
And sometimes that is the spouse. And it can be the male or the female. But it's usually the male. Jesus is saying, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And I'll give you rest. For I know exactly how you feel. I too was oppressed and afflicted. I was despised and rejected by men. I was led as a lamb to the slaughter, pierced that you may be free. I will set you free from the bondage that holds you captive. Free from your blindness that you may see me as being the Son of God. Free from your oppression, for that is why I came. For the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Several years ago, a good friend of mine, and many of you know him, missionary David Miller, gave me a book that he wrote I think he wrote it in 1998, entitled The Lord of Bela Vista. It's a dramatic story of a prison that was transformed by Jesus. Bela Vista is a prison in uh, Medellin, Colombia. It was one of the bloodiest in the world. 4,000 prisoners lived in that prison that was built for only 1,500. They were the worst of humanity. Many of them worked for Pablo Escobar, who was then the drug king of Colombia. If you ever get a chance to watch the documentary on him, uh, if you enjoy, especially history of Latin America, you ought to watch it. At that time, Colombia was the drug capital of the world. I, I studied it quite a bit because I was living in Colombia and drug dealers were coming into uh, Ecuador where we lived and we had a church only 15 miles from the Colombian border and twice we had to leave that church in the jungle because they were coming over into the village where we were at and the church advised us to get out and go back to the city where we lived. But uh, Pablo Escobar was finally taken down and the main capital of drugs now have moved from Colombia into Mexico along our southern border. But uh, there were battles in this, in this prison between the cell blocks. It was so common that as many as 10 prisoners were killed a day, each day in that prison. The walls were literally painted with the blood of, of those who were killed. Many of the dead bodies were mutilated. At times, the victims' heads were used as soccer balls for entertainment. In 1989, a riot broke out that shut down the entire prison. Only one man was allowed to go in. It was a former inmate by the name of Oscar who became a chaplain. And for several years, he was allowed to hold uh, prayer meetings in there. And during that time, he was allowed to go in continue to hold prayer meetings with the inmates. And for 60 days of continual services, he was holding prayer meetings, and the Holy Spirit began to get a hold of some of the lives of these hardened criminals. And as I said, they were some of the worst in the world. 
most people would say they were beyond uh, salvation. 400 of them began attending Bible studies. 120 were baptized. At the end of 60 days, they turned their weapons over to Oscar, and the killing stopped. One of the prisoners who had killed an estimate of 60 people is a, an evangelist today. And I'd just like to read a couple sentences of his testimony. And I quote, When I gave myself to the Lord, he began working on me. I was freed. I'm serving a 29-year sentence, but the happiest days of my life have been the one since I have known Jesus. The peace I always craved, I have now. End of quote. When prisoners enter Bella Vista today, they read these words on the wall that were once painted in blood. If the sun sets you free, you will be free. Indeed. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. There is nothing impossible for Jesus to do if, if we give him the opportunity. He can break the chains that Satan holds on a person's life, regardless of how bad that person may be, just as these prisoners were here in Bella Vista. Several years ago, I heard a former mafia hitman give his testimony. One of the most outstanding. He lives today in Alabama. Don't remember his name, but he was a hitman for the mafia. The Lord got a hold of his life. He's now an evangelist. When he left the mafia, they bombed his house killing his wife. He uh, spent time in prison for murder and miraculously while he was in prison a young woman uh, had a jail ministry and then he married her and now they have a ministry together. I have never heard such a change in a person's life with the exception of those in this book The Lord of Bella Vista as this uh, guy gave when I heard his testimony and heard him speak. God can change anybody's life if they give him the opportunity. He can break any chains that Satan may have you bound this morning. He can open the eyes that you may see Jesus Christ for who he is. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a miracle worker. He is God. No one less. And he can give hope to those who are victims of oppression. Regardless of what type of oppression a person is living in. But you must make that decision to come to him. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and be in an attitude of prayer.
We're going to sing a few verses of an invitation. Someone here this morning needs to experience freedom in a spiritual sense. Through these doors at the front of the sanctuary marked exit, we have people back there waiting to pray with you, regardless of what need you may have. They will not get personal with you. They will be there just to pray with you. Whether you're seeking spiritual liberation, whether you're wanting your spiritual eyes to be open to better understand God's will for your life, whether you're needing freedom from some type of oppression, there is no need for you to leave here today without experiencing complete freedom in Jesus Christ. That's why He came. That's why He came. He died on the cross that you may have that freedom. When He went back to the Father, He sent His Holy Spirit, who is now speaking to your heart, calling you, giving you the opportunity to experience this freedom, a resurrection from the dead, if you will, to start life over, to be free. This is your opportunity. This is your chance. As we stand to sing a few verses, will you come?